You're listening to Everyday Humanity. Everybody. Welcome back to Everyday Humanity, and this is Season 2. We are so glad that you're back with us for the start of Season 2. And I have some things to share with you in the way of updates and announcements. One, if you remember, last season, it was me, Beth, along with Dennis Van Campen, our President and CEO, and Regina, who is our third host. And Regina has moved on to a different position helping the youth in our community and beyond. So we are so happy and excited for her But then all of a sudden we went, oh, Regina's our third host. So what are we going to do here on Everyday Humanity? And the answer is, what you're about to find out, is we are going to have some rotating guests who are actually our rotating hosts, also staff members of Mel Trotter Ministries. So today joining us is Selena as our guest host. So hi, Selena. Hello, Beth. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing Fantastic. You happy to be here? <laughs> I'm happy to be here, nervous at the same time, but I'm here. We are so happy you're here. You're actually sitting in Regina's chair. And so, you know, the she coolest. the coolest chair. And some of the looks uh, excuse me. Oh yeah. Sorry guys, Dennis is to my left. So here in the way of a visual, <laughs> since we don't record this like with video, um, to my right now is Selena, but uh, Regina used to sit in that chair. And Dennis is on my left, so I like to think of it as a rose between, I don't know what I like to think of it as, but Dennis is to my left. So I used to look at the actual facial expressions of Regina sometimes looking at Dennis, and then she like kicked me under the table a little bit. I think that was the high sign for, is he talking too much? But no. Man, I'm really sorry, Beth. I I try not to be nappy, and then every now and then it just comes through. So, yeah, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. There's a lot that goes on here, you guys. We do have fun. We have fun every day at work. We're grateful for all of you listeners. And, um, Selena, if I can turn it over to you, because here's why you're here today specifically. Let me just um, remind our listeners of this. When we were thinking about what guest we'd have on um, the show today, We reached out to this guest, another staff member, Mel Trotter Ministries, and said, can you let us know the most influential staff member in your time here? Who has been the person who has showed up alongside you, who has poured into you, who you really can depend on and count on? And this person came back and said, well, that's a hard hard answer because there are a lot of people here who come alongside and share. But there's one that really stands out to me, and that is Selena. Oh. Yep. That's why (laughs) you're here. That's awesome. Um. That's awesome. I'm glad that he feel that way. It makes my heart just so emotional. He know how I am. I can be so emotional. Dennis know to cry at a drop of a dime. But today I told the Lord, just let me stand strong and just let me do and say whatever needs to be said today. And thank you for um, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. You want to tell our listeners, too, what you do at Mel Trotter Ministries before you introduce our guest? Sure. Okay. My name is Selena Parks. I'm an um, intake specialist manager at Mel Trotter Ministries. Um, basically, I'm in customer service. And um, we're the first person that people see. We're the first and the last people they see when they leave. Um, we make sure that we keep the building safe and secure, and we also share our faith with the guests to make sure that they know that this is a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they come in there hurting. You know, um, some feel like they're hopeless, but we're their light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel. You know, we're those ones that's hands-on all day, every day, and I love what I do. You know, I wouldn't replace it for anything in the world because it just reminds me of the struggles 
of everyday life. You know, because we can be one day where we're at right now, sitting at this table, and the next day going through the same things or kind of situations that they go through. So I'm I'm never comfortable. You know, I'm never comfortable, but I'm always yet there ready to strive to do the best that I can to help serve the people in our community and outside our community wow. every day. Wow. So, yeah. We are very blessed to have you here. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing that. Do you want to do us the honors of introducing our guest today? Oh, yes. <laughs> today we have I have alongside of me assistant manager Salo Montelvo. <laughs> Please don't laugh. I think I said it wrong, but um, I'm sure he can pronounce it better than me. But he's an assistant manager at our 200 site at Heartside on, on Division. And um, I'm here today to sit beside him just to ask him a couple of questions and and see where he's at. So right now I'd like to introduce and honor <laughs> Salo. Well, thank you, Selena. Um, and for the record, it's Montalvo. I know it's, some, it's a little, sometimes a little bit of a tongue twister, but, you know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Wish I had something easier, like nap or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that would be easier. I mean, you know, Beth, I'm sure, can explain that later. But, um, yeah, so, Salo, I am uh, so, so glad you're here. And you too, Salito. We've worked together for 10 years. Yes. And, um, you are truly a sister to me in, in so many ways. Um, but, yeah, Salo, uh, I'm just really – I just can't wait for me to hear your story again but also for the listeners to hear your story, maybe some for the first time. So, you know, to the extent that you're comfortable, I'd love to hear a bit of your story and how God's worked through your life. And, and yeah, we'll just go from there. Well, yeah, um, yeah I, um, <clears throat> I grew up in Grand Rapids for the most part. Um, and um, not too far, actually, from the mission, probably about seven minutes or so on Franklin Division. And, um, you know... I think growing up, um, I kind of had a, a rough childhood, um, and uh, it kind of put me in the streets a little bit in terms of just running with rough crowds and stuff like that, and um, which eventually landed me in prison yeah. um, for 23 years. Um, and, um, <clears throat> you know, me and some friends, uh, we made a decision, a very bad decision one night to rob a store and uh, murder the clerk mm. and you know for that I was sentenced to natural life in prison meaning that I was supposed to die there yeah. I wasn't supposed to get out but God made me a promise and he fulfilled that promise it took time um, but he brought me home and gave me a second chance and you know then not too long after that, I found myself uh, going to a job fair and seeing a former teacher of mine while I was inside. I went through a prisoner fellowship. There was a program called the Urban Ministry Institute. And um, there was a lady there, her name was Mary Engel, who taught that class. And um, when I walked into um, the building where we, they were having a, this job fair, Mary was sitting at the Mel Trotter booth. And I was just like really surprised to see her. She was surprised to see me because she didn't know I was home at the time. Yeah. And so um, it was just, it was a really happy reunion and also a really awesome opportunity um, because she asked me to apply, which I did. And that's when I met Selena 
for my first interview. Um, and, uh, yeah, the rest is history, you know. Um, but uh, I feel like just being there has been just an awesome opportunity for growth. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I mentioned, I grew up in prison. I went when I was 16. Um, mm. And when I came home, I was 39. Wow. And so uh, all of my developing years were there in that place. Um, and so I, I really lacked, I think, a lot of um, just basic skills that people have, you know, as a grown adults, um, living their everyday life. Um, and so there was just so much to learn. And, um, you know, just having so many people around me, like Selena, um, mm -hmm. and even like Jeff and uh, just other coworkers at Mel Trotter really pouring into me and helping me um, to reacclimate to life outside, um, which at times was really difficult um, and challenging. I think just, and even with just little things like being able to make my own decisions. Yeah. to go to the store and pick whatever kind of toothpaste I want, you know, or um, just things like that, choices of ice cream instead of vanilla, little small cup of vanilla. I think the first day home I bought like six pints of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just... <laughs> um, but But in all of it, just being so grateful for... God um, entrusting me with that experience yeah. because yeah. through it, he shaped me into who I am. Um, and um, I think without it, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. I wouldn't be the solo you guys know, the solo that mm -hmm. um, just cares so much for the people we serve. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so it was definitely a blessing I hear you say the solo that you guys know, and that as I'm listening to your story and being reminded of it, it reminds me of the po this podcast, right? Everyday Humanity, of why we do what we do and the guests that we serve and the judgments and and often um, misrepresentations, right, that we land upon. Because the first time I met you, I had no idea your backstory. I, why would I have known that? I didn't know you as, an, as a human being. I didn't know your story and your experience. And so I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about the analogy and the parallels between, I heard you say reacclimate, right? Mm -hmm. And decisions and making choices and life skills yeah. that you didn't necessarily have, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the fact that you were inside for 23 years and you had a, a rough upbringing prior to that. Yeah. Would you say there are a lot of parallels to be drawn with the guests that we serve? There are, absolutely there are. You know, um, a lot of our, our guests, you know, they find themselves um, homeless, uh, you know, because of, Sometimes lack of education, um, lack of um, trades or job skills or things like that, um, and including you know uh, drug addiction or um, <clears throat> um, just you know there's just a variety of things. But I do, I feel like every the more stories I hear from our guests, the more I get to talk to them and interact with them, um, the more I see the parallels <laughs> between. Uh, my own story, my struggle, and what they go through. Um, and I think for me, it, it helps me. It helps me to be more compassionate, more understanding, because I know what it feels like to, to be at the bottom, mm -hmm. you know, to be uh, uh, 
treated less than human by um, a culture. And for my, in my case, it was, you know, the prison culture. Um, but um, that struggle translates from there to here, you know, to out here in, the, in, um, in society as well in, in various ways. And so, um, you know, just being able to be in a place where you can find dignity, you can find worth, you can find purpose, and I think a lot of that is what we really strive to offer the people we do serve. Mm-hmm. And, and it does something. I remember I was, in a, <clears throat> I was in a prison. It was probably in my 12th year of incarceration. And I found my, my way into a prison where uh, the warden was very pro-program, uh, wanted volunteers to come in, wanted... Um, that interaction with the inmates uh, to help them feel more uh, human, more valued. And, and this is after being in places where um, the, the opposite was true. Mm-hmm. You know, you were belittled, um, you were treated like, like an animal. And um, so to be there and to see like the transformation in this facility when she um, began to like implement all these different things and uh, began to bring people in from outside and, and the inmates began to see just how much they were valued and how much people cared for them made a huge difference. You know, the, um, the violence in the prison went way down. Wow. Um, the fact that they had programs and they had different things where um, they could utilize skills and learn skills um, it went a long way, you know, to helping um, just people have find a sense of purpose. Because in there, there isn't. It's hard to find purpose, and I know I struggled for a really long time with that, especially coming in at sixteen, um, and just you know going through the struggle of you know being mad at God because God, you could have changed this at any moment. Like you could have mm-hmm. turned my course. And I never would have got here. And, you know, um, the gentleman we murdered would would still be alive today. And his family wouldn't have to suffer that pain and go through all that grief. Um, And, but, again, our choices, you know, God gives us that free will to choose, you know. And sometimes he says it very clearly, choose life or death, you know. And he wants us to make the right choices, but we don't always do that. Did you know God, Salo, before you were 16? I did. Um, my parents were um, uh, very much church-going. Um, we went, oof, probably every twice Sunday and Wednesday, and then my dad's church went Thursday and Friday, too. So. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I went a lot. Church. And yeah. my dad was a worship pastor as well at his church. And um, we went to separate churches mm-hmm. because my dad— could barely speak English. And so he went to a Spanish church. Um, my mom, she was white. And so most of the time we would go to um, her church, but I would also go to my dad's church too. And um, and so I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, the Potter's House, um, up through eighth grade. And um, and I initially I was just surrounded by this really tight Christian community. But um, the issues at home, even though my parents loved the Lord, 
um, they still had their own dysfunctions, their own issues, and it created a lot of tension. And, um, you know, my dad would had a lot of anger problems, and um, sometimes he would hit my mom. Um, sometimes he would, like, excessively spank us, you know, like, and um, just belittle us and demean us and all of those things. And so um, I started to really develop a lot of anger towards him yeah. and uh, started to become a bully in school. And it kind of culminated um, to me getting kicked out for two months. And my teachers, along with my parents, tried to figure out what to do with me um, because they seen, like, the decline. They seen, like, I was struggling, and um, they wanted to help me. Um, but at that point, I didn't want help. Yeah. I was just angry. And there was just pivotal moment when I had gotten kicked out of school um, for bullying somebody. And I, you know, I went out and hung out until about 11 at, at night, came home. And when I did, my mom and dad were arguing on the porch and I walked up the steps and, um, they were arguing about who was going to take me. And my dad was like, I don't want him. And my mom was like, well, he can't stay here. And it hurt because even though I was angry, I still loved my parents. Right. But that moment, it it broke me. Like, and that anger turned to rage and hate um, because of the rejection that I felt. And so, um, as I was walking in the house, my dad took off. He was angry, and my mom. And I know she did not mean this the way it sounded, and it came out in the way my. Uh, 15 year old ears took it but she said you're the reason we can never get along and for me it translated into you're the reason you got I you know I'm the reason you guys got divorced you know I'm the reason that every time he hit you I'm the reason for all these things growing up I took on that burden and um, it just filled me with so much anger and rage and from there I just um, you know, I lived from friends' houses, couch surfing, stuff like that, occasionally come home. Um, and then eventually I just met the wrong people. And I started, you know, committing crime. Um, and my heart was just starting to become more and more hardened. And um, eventually I got to the point where, um, you know, when we were going to go rob a store and murder the clerk, and my heart was hard. And I didn't care. Um, and, uh, but it, after that, though, it was just something in, that, in a moment like that where you find yourself, you take a life, like it does something inside of you. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's just, and for years, it just felt like this hole inside, mm -hmm. um, this emptiness. Mm -hmm. But it was through that emptiness where God began to reach me um, because I didn't go to prison, was automatically a saint. I made a lot of bad choices in prison. Um, and later, those bad choices, um, you know, they jeopardized my life. Um, and 
especially when I decided to step away from a group that I was involved with. And um, I remember that moment. I was sitting at a table in a day room and, um, you know, with my friends or people I thought were my friends. And I looked over and I seen another table of guys having Bible study. And um, uh, the person leading it, was, his name was Donald Ballard. And up until that point, like, he seemed to have, like, went to every prison I went to, because initially I would get transferred, like, every two, three years and stuff. And so he would always show up. And every time he seen me, wow! <laughs> every time he seen me, he would be like, "Hey, Saint, God loves you." When you come into church, like you know, all the time. Just you know, Donald might have been an angel. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we find him in some strange places. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was like everywhere I went, he was there, and yeah. he was just like on me about when you come into church and all that. And so we're sitting in this day room, and like the guys I hung out with hated him. They hated him. They hated just just how he could be so happy and everything in such a miserable place. And, you know, um, and but I remember sitting there at this table and I remember um, just the verse came to mind, you know, um, bad company corrupts good character. Because mm. at this point I was like, I just I hated who I was, you know. And again, God was working, you know, just in the emptiness. I hated that feeling. I hated that. And and. Uh, God was just really starting to minister to my heart. And I just, I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like the conversations. I didn't like anything. I was just listening to what was being said. And and then I just looked over there and I just felt like this belonging because a large part of my life was searching for belonging. Mm-hmm. That's why I was here running with these guys, committing crime and things like that because I wanted to belong because I felt rejected from my home, my family. My parents didn't want me. That's what I thought. And so I was finding this belonging in all the wrong places. But then looking there, and um, I just I felt like that's where I belong. So I got up from that table, and I went and sat down there. And I knew, like, to them what that would mean, especially when I stopped hanging out with them and stopped talking to them. Um, and, uh, you know, that's when, like, a lot of other problems started. You know, people wanted to fight me. They wanted to hurt me um, because, you know, the thing, the choices I had made in the past and um, that protection was gone. And so I was on my own, you know. But mm-hmm. um, I think in all of it, God, he protected me. He kept me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he worked in me and uh, he began to heal me, especially of that anger and the hatred I held. And... I mean, that took some more time, but right. um, there was that moment when he gave me restoration with my parents. Okay. Um, when my dad, like, he would come visit me for years, drive three and a half hours, no matter where I was in the state, he would come see me every week, and we would sit there in silence for an hour, hour and a half. He would go and buy some food out of the vending machine and cook it and just set it there. And he would start to hum and wait for me to say something. And I was just so angry. I didn't want him there. I didn't want to talk to him. And um, I remember, though, when God brought me to the point that um, 
I felt like I needed to confront all of this, the anger, and just confront him with it. And when I did, you know, he started to cry. That was like the only time I ever seen him cry in my whole life, yeah. you know, up to that point. And he asked me to forgive him. And it was like immediately that anger was gone. And um, it was from that point that we just started to develop a really deep relationship. And I got to know my dad because I didn't know anything about him, really. I knew he was Puerto Rican. You know, I knew we shared the same name. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just, but there was nothing else. Because I never really had a relationship, even though he was there. You know, he would come home from work, and he just didn't want us around. He was tired. You know, send us outside if we were too, you know, run around the house too much or if it was too dark. He would make us vacuum the floor, you know, so <laughs> we had the cleanest floor in the neighborhood. But <laughs> you're making oh, me wow. cry over here, so. Solid. There's like, there's no crying in baseball or podcasting. I don't know what to do about this. Right so, right. so when I, so this is just going through my head the whole time I'm listening to you, mm-hmm. right? There's two thoughts going through my head. The first one is, this is why we're doing this podcast, and this is why it's called Everyday Humanity, yes. because in our culture, in our world. It is so easy to make judgments about people that we don't know and to see a news story or to hear something about someone and immediately think that we understand the circumstances in the person. And then we label and judge them as something worse than ourselves. And listening to your story in this podcast, it's everyday humanity. It's did you did you make a, a terrible mistake? Yes. But you're human, right? That doesn't excuse the mistake. Yeah. But but this is saying, wow, there's a there's a human being here that has a story before, during, and after. That's the first thing coming through my head. The second thing is this Bible verse is just continually going through. And the Bible verse is this, that God who began something in you will be faithful to carry it out and finish it in the end. And God began something in you as a child. Yeah. And then you hit some really rough spots. Yeah. But he has been, is, and will be faithful to complete it. And that's what he did, and that's what he's doing in your life. And that just, like, I'm sitting here with goosebumps, right? right. Because, I mean, it's sometimes you get that living manifestation of God's word and truth, right, yes. sitting right in front of you. So, um, I just wanted to say that. I had to say that. And I know Selena had a question for you. So, here goes. Yes. Selena. I was just thinking about. Um, the prodigal son, yes, because that's what Salo has always reminded me of. And I think about, you know, you talk about prison, but I also see the sacrifice, you know, that God used you as a vessel, you know, and I understand that a life was taken and we know that and we know the hurt that it caused the other family and it caused yours. But also you would, you was able to see through the muck and mire. You know, he gave you a strong place, even though you were there. I truly believe it saved your life in some ways when it began to get, the, I turn it around to positive because I look at it as you going in there, learning a different way of discipline, yeah. you know, um, for you to be able, so God can, so you could hear from God. And he continued to send the same guy to you. Yeah. You know, I think about what Dennis say, was he an angel? You know, it's always say, be careful. You just might be entertaining an angel. Who knows? Yeah. But he was your angel at that moment. Yeah. You know, and um, so um, when I first met you, I told you, when you walked in the door, I told Mary, he's supposed to be here. I discerned him just like that, sitting at the table. <laughs> he looking at me like, huh? I said, um, 
you're hired. <laughs> I just need to go to Marcy. I just need to go to Miss Marcy. And Mary looking at me, I said, I'm telling you, he's supposed to be here. You know, and I, you know, I just kept telling him that you're supposed to be here. You know, and it's just a blessing that God and how Amen. our male trider family never prejudged you. Yeah. Even before they knew your story and then after your story, yeah. I still see the love. You know, not the whispers or nothing, because that's not what we stand for. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we there, and we always tell each and every person that comes there, I know I do, there's by no mistake that you have, that you have been brought here. We all have been brought there for some reason that God is working on us on something. Yeah. You know, it could be, you know, anything that in our life that, that's going on with us. So yeah. I always tell you to encourage yourself, to hold your head up and I always tell them to keep moving yeah. you know through it because I know God is faithful yeah. Yeah. I know I have a story yeah. you know what I mean yeah. we all have a story yeah, and so and I love those words that when Dennis them gave us that, that shirt that my story you know because we all have a story yeah. and so you just stay encouraged yeah. you know and um, my question was do you ever um, have you ever talked to the family after this was said and done or, you know, yeah, tell a, them? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, actually, there was a point while I was inside that um, God began to um, just really convict me about, because um, I feel like up to that point, I was very remorseful and I was very broken and I regret what happened. But I think a large part of it was because of my present circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so I remember writing a letter to the family and I sent it out and um, my family helped me find an address and uh, I remember I didn't hear anything back. And so after about six months, I wrote another one and I sent it again. And I determined that, you know, after this, I'm just, I'm gonna leave it alone. Maybe they, they, they hate me. In my mind, it's like they hate me. They don't want anything to do with me. This is probably just hurting them more, the fact that they're receiving these letters because it reminds them and of their pain and their loss. And so um, I just left it alone. Well, um, it was maybe <clears throat> a year later, I, um, a news reporter from the Grand Rapids Press wanted to come and interview me. Um, at the time, uh, there was a lot of hype around uh, potential reform, you know, with juvenile lifer legislation and stuff like that. There was a huge push for that. And so... Uh, he wanted to come interview me, so he came up, and during the course of the interview, uh, when I was kind of telling the story, and, you know, he brought up, he was like, well, have you ever heard from the family? I said, no. He's like, well, I talked to them, and they wanted me to tell you that they forgive you. And when I came back off of that interview, and I went to my cell, there was a letter that same day from the family expressing the same thing and all of them had signed it and it like it it felt so good but it hurt so much at the same time yeah um that's grace yeah and it was like in that moment i realized that what i was feeling now was true remorse not because of where i was because I knew my, my, my decisions, my choices got me there. So I, I, I had what I deserved. But it hurt because of the pain I inflicted on them. Yeah. 
it became more real, and it became more so when I actually uh, met one of them on a visit. And, um, you know, she told me about her, her uncle um, and told me that um, at one point, you know, he, was a, he owned a car dealership in Lansing, and um, he struggled with alcoholism, and he lost everything, and they found him sleeping under a bridge in Grand Rapids. And, um, yeah, he was homeless. And wow. when we took his life, he was recovering from his homelessness. He had wow. just gotten a job in an apartment. And so being where I am is very personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I, I met her and I told her the story and uh, she expressed all of that to me, and I could, I remember finishing the story and um, I remember sharing a part with her that nobody else really knew. Because when I told the initial story and I told her everything that happened, she asked me, was there anything else? And up to that point, I really struggled with this other fact that I didn't tell anybody. And that was that I wasn't just a driver. I went into the store first and I seen him. Just like I'm looking at you. Yeah. We looked at each other and... I went back out and I got in the car and I struggled with wanting to tell her that because I was so afraid that she would take that forgiveness away. And, but I felt like I had to, I had to. And so I told her and I could see her heart break. Like it was the most painful thing I ever had to witness in my life. It hurt so much. And she looked at me and she started to cry. She said, I still forgive you. And, um, she stood up, gave me a hug, and um, then she, you know, she said, you know, I, my family forgives you, but we expect great things from you. Mm. And, um, and I promised that, you know, I wouldn't let her down. And, um, and so, you know, I started to, inside, I started to just asking God, look, I want to be different. I want to be changed. I want more than this. I want to make a difference here. And so, um, you know, I attended that, um, the, the To Me program uh, with Mary, and um, I started to lead worship, um, taught myself to play guitar, and led a worship band in prison. And um, we were actually able to make the first, um, I guess, music video um, of a worship service <laughs> in, the, in, in the state of Michigan in prison. Um, <laughs> That's something, <laughs> you know, and so um, and uh, it was just so it was just awesome. It was so awesome. It was so incredible what God did mm-hmm. when he brought me to that point of surrender and all the restoration and everything. And one thing, though, that just really um, made a huge impact on me and it does every single day is God's persistence in his love. We talk about so many different aspects of his love and different traits and things like that. But personally, by far, I feel like that is the most important because of that persistence. He won't give up. He won't stop. He will keep pursuing you no matter how much you push him away, no matter how much wrong you do, no matter how far you find yourself from him. He will keep pursuing you. And I seen that demonstrated in my dad when he showed up every single week and I wouldn't talk to him. And I'm sure that every time he left, just wanting to have a relationship with his son. 
And I rejected him every time mm-hmm. until that moment where I confronted him mm-hmm. and we had that restoration and he had his son back. Mm-hmm. And I see that, I see God there, his love demonstrated there. And it's the same love that uh, he wants us to do, like with the people we serve at the mm-hmm. mission. Mm-hmm. That's it. That is the motivation. Yeah. It is that pursuit. Mm-hmm. No matter how much, you know, uh, somebody may cuss at you or spit at you or whatever it is, it's yeah. that love that keeps you going. It keeps you there. It keeps you fulfilling mm-hmm. that promise mm-hmm. and keeps me fulfilling that promise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Selena brought up the prodigal son, mm-hmm. right? And when we think about, for those of you that know the, those of us that know the prodigal son story, we often think about the prodigal son that left, yeah. and then he finally turns back and he runs back home, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what oftentimes, to your, to your thought about God's pursuing us, mm-hmm. what oftentimes we don't remember out of that story is the father was standing at the gate watching for his son, mm-hmm. and when he saw his son coming, he did something that was scandalous in the day. Mm-hmm. He pulled up his robes and exposed his bare legs, mm-hmm. and he did that so that he could run to meet his son. Wow. That's pursuing, mm-hmm. right? So that's yeah. the, the God character in that story yeah. actually sees you and runs to you, yes. right? And that's what God did in your life, is yeah. doing in your life. Mm-hmm. So so here's my here's my next, right? <laughs> So we've talked a lot about past, Yeah. talked some about present. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's in the future for Salo. Now, I'm going to preface my question this way. It better include staying at Maltrotter. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to feel like you might have my job someday, which would be totally fine. Um, but what does future Salo's life look like? Wow. You know, I, <laughs> I feel like I owe so much. I do. God has given me so much. Like I mentioned, um, I was supposed to die in prison. That was my sentence. But he made a promise to me. He fulfilled that promise. And he invested so much in me um, that, you know, I just, I love where I'm at. I love the work I do. I, I found, like, my sense of purpose. And, again, I mentioned, you know, the, the man that we murdered, um, me and my two co-defendants, um, he was homeless. He was a homeless man recovering, mm-hmm. getting back up on his feet. And I feel like it's no coincidence that Mary was at that job fair that day that, um, you know, I ended up here at Mel Trotter and um, (laughs) doing the work I do because God allowed me to have that, to to be able to to work to repay. And I know that repayment is not necessary, not like I can earn salvation or redemption or something like that because that's been given freely. But there's still that sense of, you know, he's, and I meant, and I said this earlier, and I mean it, he's entrusted me with this experience. Mm-hmm. You know, when we go through things, we suffer in our lives. You know, he knows, he knows the story of our life. What did David say in the Psalms? He's like, you knit me together. He's like, before I was born, you knew me. Mm-hmm. You know, every day was, you know, was assigned to me. You knew it all. And so... And I just, I guess in my mind, I just feel like, all right, here we am, here I am. Uh, You know, I was born into this world, and it was like God knew what my story was going to be. And when at at that moment where I was angry at him because he didn't change my course and all this, and but he was, he was directing my course, he was all the while when I was making the mistakes, he was there, 
You know, he was keeping me from danger and he was doing all of these things and he was a constant presence in my life. And he led me there, here, to freedom and then to Mel Trotter and gave me a purpose and gave me a mission and gave me a passion for that mission. And, um, you know, I can't promise that I'll be there forever, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I feel content where I am. I feel uh, purpose. I am where God has me. Um, mm-hmm. I probably would never want to be CEO because I think that's a pretty heavy thing, you know? Tight. <laughs> Tight. <laughs> but now he knows why they always ask me, how have you been there so long? <laughs> yeah. But I always told him because if you love people, mm-hmm. It's like this purpose, yes. and I don't yes. look at it. I look at it like I'm a disciple of a yeah. servant. You know, the Bible is like an adventure for me. Yeah. I started with a children's Bible when I started at Mel Trotter's. Did you really? And how many I years ago was that? Um, I started. I came to Mel Trotter in 2001. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Started wow. in programs on up. You know what I mean? And and I had to. I found him there, even yeah. though I grew up in church. I didn't have that relationship. Mm-hmm. So once you gained that relationship, mm-hmm. Silo, with God, you was, yeah. he was able to open up your heart, you know, because you was yeah. running. You know, yeah. you was running. Yeah. I feel the same way, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to the guests there, the like Reverend Leonard, the more you keep pounding and pounding and mm-hmm. pounding, yeah. but you're pounding something yeah. that's going to last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know Absolutely. what I mean? You're pounding something that's going to last. And so you are in the right place. Yeah. We all are. And it's, I'm just, it's just an honor to have you mm-hmm. be able to sit here and tell your story and to be able to share that you were with the family. They forgave you. Yes. And now in, in, in everyday life, when people do something at Mel Trotter, you're able easily to find purpose to forgive them. Yeah. You know, it's And awesome. we have staff meetings every week. Right. And sometimes in staff meetings, Salo uses his gift of worship and leads <laughs> right. our staff in, in yes. worship. Yes. Which is just always, um, I can't believe, like, you haven't been playing guitar your whole life. You're so talented. But, um, yeah, Beth, I, yeah. Well, this has obviously rendered me a little speechless, which is rare. But um, (laughs) (laughs) admittedly, right, I've also transformed solo, like I know. But but that's really what the story is about. It's a story of transformation. And it is a story that, um, like Selena said, that God does not give up on us. He doesn't keep score. Right. He, he is entrusted, as you've used that word, um, us with each other and to yeah. love each other well and yeah. to show up alongside our guests every day without judgment yeah. and, and seeing them as made in the image of God, mm-hmm. which took you by your own omission years to see yourself. You're mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I didn't change overnight. None of us do. And that's yeah. OK. We're not on a time schedule to do so. Yeah. We are here for a purpose, for a reason in the right place to show up and to share our experiences yeah. with love. And I will just personally end this with every time I see you with our guests, you, you are loving them well and mm, you are teaching yes. us yes, you are. through that love. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Thank you for mm-hmm. all that you are continuing to do in the world and for persevering and for sh- speaking about God. A lot of people go through times of adversity and thank God, but they yeah. don't continue to thank God in the way that we just heard you do. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So. That's what I have, you guys. I'm a little like, again, I don't know. Anybody have any last thoughts for Sala before we let him go? Selena, anything? It's just an honor, you know, yes. that God, the transformation. Yeah. So he just shows everyone 
that has been through something or is still going through, that you also can be transformed yeah. with Jesus' help. Amen. You know, and we can do this. We all can, and that's the reason why we're there, to do transformations yeah. one life at a time. Yeah. Amen. Thank Amen, you. Selena. Amen. Yes. All right. So, Selena, I'll say this before you close, Beth. Selena, you were rocking. You did a great job nervous. as a guest host. You're Thank you. About? You did great. It's we off. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, we're not off. Now she's got more to say. Now she's got more no. to say. And, uh, and Salo, I just want to echo Beth and, and Selena. Just thank you. Um, just not thank you for coming here and sharing your story, but um, thank you for allowing God to continue to work through you. Um, and to to work through you to pour into the lives of those that were frankly honored, called, and blessed to serve. So thank you for that. And um, Beth, thank you. Yeah. We are filled with gratitude up in here, people. And thank you, <laughs> listeners. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on episode one, season two, for another interview, which is what we, you know, we're here to do. We're here to share everyday humanity with you. So thank you, thank you, and we will see you all next week. We'll